0: thank you for watching this message from the bridge church our vision here is to be a church that is for christ for community and for the city today's message is from the sermon series the king's cause it's a walk through the gospel of mark and if this message has impacted you in any way please email us at stories at the bridge, all right hey good morning everybody it's good to see each of you. Welcome to the Bridge Church. Man, it's great. It's a great day to be here. What's this white stuff falling from the sky? I don't understand. It's craziness, craziness. Cool. Those of you who are from the north, you're like, thank you, Jesus, for this snow from heaven. But, um, Well, it's good to see you here today. Uh, My name is Ethan. I am uh, one of the pastors here. Um, Thank you so much for being with us. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it and open your Bible uh, to Mark. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today, and uh, we're in our series walking through the gospel of Mark from the beginning to the end called The King's Cause. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's okay. Uh, We'll put the verses on the screens for you. And then we'll give you a Bible for free today. You can grab one at the resource area on your way out. Would love to be able to give you a Bible completely for free. Um, well, today I have a really cool. Um, I have a really cool uh, kind of announcement to be able to. To, to reveal to you we get to, we get to see a lot of things and experience a lot of things as pastors and on staff and you don't always get to experience things so I kind of want to roll out to you something that is uh, pretty uh, amazing uh, that that's going on pretty soon um, well as, as as a church uh, we have been called by God uh, to be a multi-ethnic church a church with all sorts of different kinds of diversity that reflects our city uh, we believe that is a specific call from God that it is clear that is really what the New Testament church was um, that they were an unbelie they were a radically inclusive community of people, and it didn't matter how if you were rich or if you were poor, what your ethnicity was, what class that you were in, everyone was welcome in the Church of God, and it was just an amazingly beautiful group of people. And We believe that that's what God has called us to be um, as a church as well. So. With that being said, a couple years ago, I was able to develop a relationship with another pastor in town, an African-American pastor named Clifford Barnett, who pastors the Warner Temple AME Zion Church, which meant I had to learn what AME meant because I didn't know what it meant. And we struck up a relationship, was uh, really, really amazing. Uh, He's actually been to the bridge. He he has taught here before, and I have been at Warner Temple and taught there. We've done some things together, a choir anniversary celebration, done some uh, musical things, done some different events together. Together And I believe that uh, uh, God has given me a, a vision specifically that our church and that o- some other churches in our city will one day be at the tip of the spear for what it means to do unity and reconciliation in Wilmington. I just, I just believe that. I don't think like I came up with that on my own. I feel like that is a vision from God. And the church, unfortunately, has been at the other end of the spear. And I feel like we're going to be at the tip of the spear for what it means to be a part of reconciliation and unity in our city. So, so um, no, no joke, literally a few months ago... Um, uh, because of the things that, that we've been able to do together as churches and pastors and relationships and unity, um, we literally get a call from the Azalea Festival, and the 70th annual Azalea Festival is happening this spring, and they literally ask us to host and organize an event on unity in our city in conjunction with the Azalea Festival in just a couple weeks, which is just crazy, is <laughs> crazy. So so mark your calendars two weeks from today we've known this for a few months and building up to it But two weeks from today, on Sunday, April 2nd at 2 p.m. at Greenfield Lake Amphitheater, we're going to do a big party, a big celebration, a big event on on unity with all sorts of different churches represented uh, and all people, uh, a citywide event. And and myself and and Clifford have been uh, asked to organize uh, the event. And so it is going to be uh, amazing. And so I just wanted you to know about that uh, so that you could put it on your calendars. Um, we're going to be talking about Easter coming up in, in a few weeks, but I want you to be there. I want everybody that calls the bridge, Church uh, home to be there. Even if you are sick, you better show up. All right. You get there uh, because it, I think it's going to be really uh, an amazing uh, opportunity. So with that being said, let me uh, let me let me pray. Uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll dive into our text for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here as your people to gather, um, surrounded uh, by your word and uh, filled and fueled by your Spirit, Lord. I just. Ask that you would help our time and our moments here to be um, ordained by you and that uh, we would be people that would change. We would be people that experience you and you would change and you would impact us. And through that, uh, allow us to be a part of seeing the city change and seeing uh, your kingdom come to bear even in this place, even in our city, God. So we ask for that. So would you bless um, our moments that we have together? We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. 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 Well, just out of curiosity uh, this morning, how many of you in the room, how many of you would consider yourselves creatures of habit? How many people in the room, you are a creature of habit, you've got maybe a a few different things that you do in your routine, that you do the same thing all the time, maybe you have certain restaurants that you frequent and you don't like to try new restaurants, perhaps you have a, a special restaurant that you like and when you go to that restaurant you get the same thing every time, you know, because, you know, we, we, we don't want to take any risk, you know I mean? I mean, I got something at the restaurant that I like, and I know that I'm going to like it, and I'm not going to take a risk and spend my money on something that I don't know if I'm going to like, so I'm going to buy that thing that I How many of you that raise your hand real high, that's you, you creature, creature of, of habit? Uh, now, that that not only is true of, uh, of just our lives in general, it's also true of, of church. Like, how, how many of you, you, can, you kind of... Uh, you kind of like to sit in the same place every, every Sunday. You got your, you got your spot. You, it may not be quite the, quite the case. Uh, 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 I, I see the shooks. What are y'all doing back there? Y'all typically right here on the front row. You're, you're throwing me for a loop here this morning. But typically, when I was growing up, like, uh, I grew up in a church with pews. And just so we wouldn't lose the luster of what a pew is, we put a couple in the lobby so you can sit on them and you bring back... <laughs> bring back the glory days, but we had pews, you know, and you kind of sat in your spot, you know what I'm saying? And then, nope, you better not sit in my spot, in my pew, because that's where, that's me and my family, we sit there, and we sit there every Sunday, so you better not sit in our spot. See, we are uh, creatures of habit, uh, but for most of us, we're creatures of habit. We we fear, we, we fear change, we fear stepping out into the unknown, we fear unpredictability, we don't like to linger in that land. We like to know how things are going to be and how they can be expected and predictable. But as creatures of habit, this gets into the church as well. And Maybe you've been a part of a church and maybe you one day got the courage to ask them why they do things the way that they do. And typically the response is the reason that we do that is because that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've always done it. My sermon title this morning is The Way We've Always Done It. And this, as Jesus is going to tell us today, is one of the greatest enemies of the gospel. And we like to think about the enemies of the gospel. Oh, it's, it's, those, it's those people there, or it's this thing out there, or it's, man, that enemy of the, that thing over there. But the reality is that one of the greatest enemies to the gospel is you me and our traditions and the things that we do to prevent the ministry of the gospel from actually making a difference in people's lives. So Mark chapter seven, beginning in verse one, this is what it says, Mark seven, verse one. Now the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Uh, They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, who are the Pharisees and the scribes just in case you may not know exactly what I'm talking about. The Pharisees in Jesus' day in the 1st century were the religious leaders within Judaism. They would have been very educated. They would have been literate. They would have had a high devotion to the law, to the Torah, to the Old Testament law, and they would have had a specific scribal tradition in which they followed in which they would interpret the law. I mean, these, these guys, they are the geeks for God. I mean, they are theological, just a nit-nacks. And they have customs and laws. They would have created an exclusive fellowship of people that fit in with us, people that did the things that wait that we did them. You would have felt very esteemed. You would have even felt superior if you were a part of their group because of your strict observance of the law. And these were the most morally, they thought, upstanding people in society. And if everyone just did church the way that they did it, and if everyone acted and lived and voted the way that they did in the world, wow, it would be a better place. And these scribes and these Pharisees continually throughout Jesus' life, through his ministry, are always coming around him, picking and looking at what he's doing, trying to essentially disrupt what he is doing. Doing And here we see that the Pharisees, they see the disciples, they're looking at him. It's kind of like they're under a magnifying glass and they're looking at the disciples and the disciples are acting in such a way that is defiled. They are not washing their hands before a meal. Now, in the Torah, it would have been the custom, it would have been ceremonial law for a priest to wash his hands before he would have eaten a meal. It was part of the ceremonial law. Hundreds and hundreds of laws and commandments that were strict guidelines for the Jewish people that, that don't exist uh, today. But in, in, in their day, it was required of priests. But here's what the Pharisees did. They said, we're not just going to require this of priests, we're going to require this of everyone. And everyone better hold to the same standard that we hold to. And so the Pharisees are here and the disciples are here. And it's like a duel is getting ready to be unleashed. It's like I think of an old Western movie, you know, where they're getting ready to have a duel. And I kind of feel like they're saying, you know, let's go outside and take this outside because there is a duel. There's a fight that's getting ready to happen. Now look at verse 3. There's a parenthesis. Mark is explaining to us a little bit more. Verse 3 says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So Mark tells us that the the Pharisees, they had uh, created this, what he calls a tradition of the elders. This was a specific tradition by the leaders within Judaism. Now, this is somewhat similar, not exactly the same, but as a church, we have elders. We are led by a, a team of elders, a board of elders, a council of elders, you could say. And our responsibility as elders is, is to lead and to oversee and to shepherd the flock, to look at Scripture and see what God has to say for us, and then make sure that our church is living in accordance with that. But in Judaism, these elders, they had created their own tradition, their own instruction, their own teaching of the way that you had to go about doing things that wasn't found in the scriptures. It was just they thought it was a good idea to come up with these things. And one of those was the ceremonial washing of hands. You had to wash your hands. They also had this uh, ritual and this rule and this standard that if you went into the marketplace, then when you came back out of the marketplace, you had to wash before you could eat a meal. This is, this is just ludicrous. Literally. So if you were a Jew and you went to the marketplace to buy goods, to buy groceries, Uh, To do do whatever you needed to do in the marketplace was kind of the common form area in the city in which you would uh, sell goods and services. And if you went into the marketplace, that meant that you rubbed shoulders with the pagan Gentiles. It means that you were in close proximity to the Gentiles, and they created a rule that if before you eat your next meal, you must wash yourself. Literally, the word is like take a bath. It's immerse yourself in water. They would created these uh, standards that you had to ceremonially wash. And then Mark tells us and many other traditions, and he lists a couple interesting ones like the washing of dining couches. Not exactly sure what, the, I guess that's some kind of interesting couch that you eat from and they needed to wash it for whatever reason. It just, it's just bizarre. Now, here, let me define for you before we go any further what I would say a tradition is. Here's this. A tradition is a man-made religious observance not found in the Scriptures. It's a man-made religious observance, practice, custom, whatever that is not found in the Bible. It's just not in the Scriptures. And this can happen intentionally. This also can happen unintentionally. This can happen with proper motives, and it can happen with improper motives, with good intent or bad intent. And just, just for clarification... Um, when I say the word tradition, I'm not talking about your holiday traditions with your grandma. <laughs> so don't go home today and call your grandma and be like, sorry, I'm not coming over for Thanksgiving because the preacher said we shouldn't be about tradition. That's not what I'm talking about. You can have your traditions when it comes to your family, when it comes to holidays cook a turkey, Christmas, whatever, whatever you want. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about religious traditions, uh, things that are required, things that are standards, things that are expected within church, within your religious uh, system. So for instance, um, it, it, we could even, this even happens for us as, as a church. So um, we have a biblical mandate as a church from scripture that we are to gather together and to worship that we're to gather together, that we're supposed to assemble, which is the Greek word for ekklesia. It's the assembly. It's the gathering of God's people. But Scripture nowhere tells us or mandates for us um, where we have to gather for worship. There just isn't a verse on it. Scripture nowhere tells us which day we have to gather for worship on or what time of day or how long the worship gathering can last. There just isn't a. There just isn't any scriptures on that. Those, those are all um, up for uh, discourse, up for decision, uh, based on whatever culture you are, and maybe based on what the Holy Spirit leads a church to do, as well. We have a biblical mandate to sing. That we're called to sing and. Encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we should be vocalizing and singing together of the goodness of God and what he's done and being able to empathize and connect with God. But uh, the Bible nowhere mandates the style of music that you have to have in a church, except country western. You can't do that. You just, you just can't do that one. Um, but no, seriously, there, there isn't a style. There's, there's no style mandated for the kind of music. There, there isn't a mandate for what, if you have to use an acoustic guitar or a pipe organ. There just isn't a verse on that. We also have a biblical mandate that we're to teach, that we're to teach and to preach, that when we gather together that the word should be taught and that we should be devoted, as Acts 2 says, to the apostles' teaching and to the word. But the Bible nowhere mandates how long we are to teach, which means I think I could Teach all day today if if I wanted to. There's just no, there's no, you'd be like, you can do that. I just won't be back next week. I get you. I understand. I understand. There's just, there's no verse on that. The the Bible mandates for us to receive communion, that we should receive communion, but nowhere mandates how often we should. Jesus just says, as often as you eat this bread and uh, drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. We choose to do it every, every week, uh, but there isn't a, a verse for what you have to do. Now, and here's, here's, here's what's going to happen in a church like the Bridge Church. Um, we, as a, new, as a newer church, as a younger church, we kind of feel like we're maybe a little more of a hip church. Um, we want to throw stones at old school tradition. You know, my old church or my grandma's church or the, the way that I, uh, we, we like to think of tradition. It's primarily an old school thing. Well, it's true, there is old school tradition, but there's also new school tradition. All right? There's new school tradition, which, which means we create kind of our own ideas, our own standards, our own things that do, that you got to do it the way that we do it, you know, if you actually want to be legit, you know, if you want to do it uh, the right way. There, there's old school tradition for sure, but there's also new school uh, tradition, wh- which means we got to be be careful, you know, how we operate as a... A tri- by old school, they wear robes, they wear, the pastor wears a robe, sometimes he wears a funny hat, you know, they just sing old, new, that's, that's, we're, not, we're not into tradition. Uh, we kind of are, it's like our, our pastor, he wears cool jeans, and he wears cool shirts, and we sing cool songs, and our band, uh, sometimes they dress in their grandparents' clothes, but you know, that's, that's it's like, just throwing shade, I'm sorry, I'm joking. Just a joke, our, our band actually dresses very well. I think they do a, I think they do a great, fantastic, fantastic job. We've got to be careful, though. Like, Isn't that just old school? Tra- there's new school tradition. And we have to be uh, people that are mindful of that and careful of that, just, just like Jesus was talking here. Now look at me in verse 5. We'll continue. It goes on and says this. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And you just better be ready if you ask Jesus a question like that. Verse 6. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, which means emptiness, do they worship me teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus lays it out there. I love this about Jesus. Jesus isn't some wimp dude. I mean, he has the ability to stand his ground and to hold to the truth if that's what the situation requires. John one fourteen tells us that Jesus is always, he embodies fullness, full of grace and truth which means at any moment's notice, he has the ability to be full of grace and to demonstrate grace to somebody that needs grace. But he also has the equal ability to demonstrate truth in an in a area that needs truth to be spoken into as these Pharisees need to. He's always striking the perfect balance, and he calls them to their face. He looks them in the eye and calls them hypocrites. These are like the guys at the top of the religious ladder in Judaism. I mean, they are at the top, and Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care how many degrees you have. He doesn't care how nice your suit is. He doesn't care how long you have been in ministry. If you do it contrary to the way that God has instructed us to do it, then he is going to uh, preach truth over that situation and call you to truth. Hypocrisy, in, in their day, the same word would have been used for theater. If you were in a play or you were in a theater in Greek society, you would have had a mask in which you would have worn different masks for different characters. This is the same word for hypocrisy. It's essentially demonstrating that there is an inconsistency with your life. There's an inconsistency with what is going on in your life, which I'll just say this, by the way, too. I know that some of you are here today. You walk in here, and you're not a Christian. You're not. You're not used to church. You had a friend, family member, coworker invite you here today. And I know. I know this. I know that most non Christians, their their biggest beef with the church and with Christians is that they are hypocritical. That they're hypocritical. That they say something with their lips, as Jesus said, but their heart really isn't in it. And they show up to church and do their thing and do their acts, and then. You know, they flip you the bird on the way out of the parking lot. You know, because you jumped, got in front of them with with your with your car. I mean, it's just it's an epidemic, it's an epidemic. I read a Barna study this past week where they actually called 718 professing Christians around the United States of America and asked them questions that were specific quotes and verses and references to the way that Jesus lived and asked them a survey whether or not they lived that way in a very generic sense. And the survey resulted that only one out of seven Christians actually lived a lifestyle that was close to what Jesus lived. See, the unfortunate thing that we've got to be really careful about is playing games with church and actually not making a difference in our city and not making a difference in our lives and giving Jesus, giving God lip service, but our heart really isn't far from him. And Isaiah says, if you do that, that is empty worship. That is vain worship. And every church has to be laser-focused on, we're not going to get primarily caught up in, the tra- in our traditions, we're going to get primarily caught up in the gospel and helping the gospel move forward. Now look with me in verse 9. He goes on and says this, And he said to them, this is Jesus, he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If a man tells his father or, or mother, whatever you sh- would what have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things. Jesus is saying, I could go on all day long if you wanted me to. He gives one quick example. Moses said, honor your father and mother and don't revile them. But you say the tradition of the elders had created a caveat for that and said, we actually don't have to honor your father and mother if your real estate, your wealth, your property, whatever, you consider it to be Corbin. That's a word that has the idea. It means that it's relegated to God and to the service of God. So what literally families were doing is they were saying, I don't have to bless my children's children. I don't have to provide for my family. I'm just going to dedicate my wealth to God and bypass you in the product in the process. And Jesus says that just is just, it just cannot do that's completely contrary to what the scripture has to say. And by creating your own traditions and doctrines, you are rejecting the very command of God, making void the word of God by your uh, tradition. It kind of be like this. Um, I don't know how many of you, uh, if if you've dated someone, or maybe you remember your dating history, or you remember that season of your life, did anybody ever used to write love letters to the your your person that you liked? I mean, just I know it's I know it's archaic, you know, but paper and a pen. I mean, it's just it, it's archaic, but it's it's a you you remember doing that, writing writing love letters to man, your spouse to be, or maybe maybe to the guy that you know, maybe it's a bad story, maybe it didn't work out so well, but. Um, but whatever, let's just say you, you wrote love letters. Now, imagine I received a love letter from my wife, and she said, I was thinking about you today, and here's, here's a letter that I wrote for you. And I'm like, wow, babe, thanks. That's amazing. I open the letter, and I'm reading. I'm like, this is, this is beautiful. This is uh, wonderful. And I read through the letter. But you know, there's a couple things that you know I don't really kind of jive with. So I kind of get my pen, and I, I start to mark out um, that line, because I don't really like that line. I just, I don't know if she was really trying to say that or what she was trying to I'm just going to cross that one out and the other one a couple lines down I'm going to cross that line out as well because but I'm going to write in the margin what I think she should have said okay so I'm going to start to write in the margin what I think would be appropriate for me and loving me that's not the way it works right I mean that's that's ridiculous that's terrible but here's what the pharisees did and what we have a tendency to do as well Oh, God, you've written your scripture, which is really a love letter. Written a love letter, and I really don't like that part. I just, you know, kind of, just where's my pen? I cross that one out. I don't really think that that applies to me. Uh, and, and actually, God, I feel like I should really be able to do this with my life, and so I'm going to write this over here. Or, God, man, God, I really feel like if our church did this, and if we had these kind of traditions and standards in our church, I'm going to write those out on the side because that would really... Help us to be the church that you've called us to be. It's a joke. That's a, that's a joke, but that's what the Pharisees fell into, and that's what each of us have a tendency to fall into as well. So here's, here's what I want to do. I've walked through the text. I want to give you quickly four, uh, four points that I, I think really are kind of at the heart of what tradition is and why we seek tradition in in our church. Here's the first one. Tradition fabricates holiness, but fails to change the heart. It fabricates holiness, but it really fails to change the heart. Tradition fools you into thinking that you are now more pleasing to God. Tradition likes to give you tactics and standards in which you can manufacture holiness. But that's not the way holiness works at all. Holiness is never outside in. I change the outside, change the things that I'm doing, create a few standards, live a better life, then that will make me a holy person. That's not the way that works. Holiness is never outside in, it's inside out, which means it starts with the heart. It means that you have a heart that has been changed by God. It means that you've taken your heart and you've given it to God. You've given it to him and say, take it. Take my heart that was that was sinful, that was had pain pain and problems and, and struggle and give it to God and let God change your heart. See, that's 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 the story of Christianity. That's the story of the gospel. And it's interesting to me that these Pharisees feel the need to clean up their lives. Uh, They feel the need to clean things up on the outside, and so they create standards for washing your hands, and you've got to ceremonially wash this. We've got to make sure that we wash our cups, and this, and this, and this, and that, and creating standards in order to make themselves feel clean before God. That's never how it works to feel clean before God. The only way that you can actually clean up yourself before God is if Jesus comes in and cleans you on his account, his way. Jesus went to the cross for you. He went to the cross 2,000 years ago. He hung on a, a cross, not to be dramatic because it was necessary, but because it was necessary for your salvation. And he took on your uncleanness on the cross and gave you his cleanliness, gave you his righteousness, gave you his holiness. And the desire to create things to make us feel more holy as people, it doesn't work. It only fabricates holiness. It doesn't actually change the heart. That's what tradition does. It just fools us into thinking that we're more pleasing to God. Here's, here's the other one. Tradition reveals that we care more about preferences than people. Tradition shows us that we, we care more about preferences than people. You know, traditions, ultimately, tra- religious traditions, um, they actually divide our differences rather than unite our differences. They, they divide us over the way that we like to do things or the way that things should be done. And we're different than you. We don't do it that way. And tradition actually divides us from people that are different than us rather than unite us. Traditions demonize people who are different, who do things differently. And the thing that we have to ask ourselves is do we want to be a part of a church? Do we want to be a part of God's church of God's people that looks like what He has called us to live in Scripture? Or do we really just want to be a part of a club? Do we just want to be a part of a club where people look like us and dress like us and talk like us and vote like us, live like us, make the same amount of money of us, sing the same songs that, that we sing? Or, or do we actually care about people? Do we actually care about being the church that he has called us to be? Or do we really care about, oh, I kind of like the style of music at that church, I kind of like the way that the preacher preaches it at that church. I think I'm going to pick that church because it, it, it helps me. It is not about you it isn't about you it is about people it's about people here's the other one the third one tradition elevates the method over the message it elevates the method or the methodology over the message the gospel message the message that God has for us tradition makes the way you do things more important than why you do things it emphasizes the way rather than the why. We begin to think that our method is the right method, and that all other methods are wrong. And this, I just have to, I just have to personally confess here, that I think, like literally a lot of the time, I feel like the Bridge Church is just the best church in the history of the world. I just, I, it's just how I think. Um, I think that we do things right. I think that we do things best. And God has had to convict me and strip me and show me that the way that we do things is just a way of doing things. Now, there are perhaps churches out there that aren't faithful to the gospel message, but I would, I would hope that the vast majority of churches are faithful to the gospel message and we're all just trying to be faithful and pursue what God has for us. Which means we, we got to be really, really careful, really careful that we think that our church is the best church in town. That, that, is, that, is, that isn't even a right category, that like one church is better. Why do we even think that one church is better than other? That just doesn't even make sense. It's not even like an equation that, that, that God would even have us to even think through. It's, it just doesn't m- make sense. We're just a church. We're a church, and we're trying to do things the, the best we can, but by no means does that mean that we are actually the best church in, in town. And so the, the tendency is going to be for us to throw stones at our old church. Oh, yeah, preacher, he was unbiblical in the way that he, that music, you know, that kids programs. We've just decided as a church that we're not going to throw stones and I promise you, I am good at throwing stones. I mean, I am really good at, I mean, I can throw some, I can throw it down, throw some stones. I mean, this is my life. We've just made a decision as elders and as a church that we are not going to throw stones. So you come up to me afterwards, and I love talking to people, I love talking about their story and their history and their experience. You start, you start downing your previous church that you were at, I'm just going to have to just kind of say, hey, let, let's, let's, let's not do that, you know? Uh, hopefully, they're being faithful to what God has called them to be, and we can be different, they can be different. We don't have to be the same. Here's the last one, tradition. Tradition loves comfort and hates change. Some of you about freaked out that we had a trumpet today. I'm like, what in the world? What do they got a trumpet on us? What are, they, who, what are they doing? I mean, it's actually, we didn't plan this. This is the first time we've ever had a trumpet in our, our band. And maybe... Um, <laughs> Maybe this is just providential from, from God, you know. You're going to be talking about tradition. Let's do a trumpet. Yeah, that's a good. some of you like freaked out. Some of you are thinking. I mean, it took some of you took an entire song just to gather yourself. You know, and like, what is happening? And our, is our church going to hell? What What is going on in this place that it's a freaking trumpet for crying out loud? You know, what I mean, it's like, and. And we, we just are people that love comfort. We, we, don't, we don't like change. We like comfort. We like predictability. We like to know what we're getting ourselves into. We don't like risk. We don't like to step into the unknown. But if you follow God, if you follow the Holy Spirit, you're going to be stepping into the unknown. You're going to be following him. And it means we've got to be really cautious and careful that we're not just creating a pattern of the way that we always do things, but that we're actually following the Holy Spirit. What do you, what do you want? This is a terrible thing for me to think about because that that, that means God God may speak He may lead me on a, a Sunday and say uh, Get rid of your sermon You're going to say something else Doesn't do that very often But I like predictable detailed outlines with points and I know where I'm going But what if what if God calls me to do something What if God calls us to, What if God speaks What if God leads I was talking to a gentleman. Uh, this week, who is a mentor. I consider him a mentor. Of, he doesn't know he's a mentor, but he is a mentor. I like to spend some time with him any chance I can. And he was talking about how um, he just thinks the idea of an order of service at a church is just the craziest thing ever. Like, like Unless like the Holy Spirit told you like, the, exactly what the order should be, who are we to say that we know exactly what God's going to do and lead us in the moment when we gather together to worship him? Now, I'm, a, I'm down with form, I'm down with function, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying just, you know, just blow off the roof and go crazy, I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm just saying, are, are, we, are, we really, are we following into a mode of doing things that are predictable and comfortable, we're really not asking what God would want to do here in this place, you know, being willing and ready for him to change and to lead us. I think most I think most of us on the way here we're on the way to to come to worship I think most of us are primarily concerned about I hope the music is good today because it wasn't good last week I hope it's good today and I hope that pastor I hope it's a decent sermon and I hope the kids ministry man I just hope I hope my kids don't go crazy uh, I get it but that's a me-centered religion we should, we should be begging we should be ple- we should be asking God God would your spirit show up today what would you have for me and what would you want to do here in this place today <laughs> amen that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of I don't know about you but that's what I want to be a part of which means a couple couple things as we close um, we get we, we just need to be really we believe here uh, that God's word has been written down for us. That this isn't a man-made book, but this is a God-made book. Uh, we believe that it is authoritative for our lives and for our church and for the way that we should live and practice. And so, we got to be careful not to add anything onto this or subtract away from it. But to hold the Scripture and let Scripture be the final say for what we do. Any differences that we have, any any. any maybe obstacles that we find in the way towards unity together, make sure that the Scripture is what we follow, and then we've got to make sure that we don't sanctify our methodology as the best way of doing things, that we are the end-all-be-all church. And what what means we're going to change things up, you know, intentionally on a regular basis, just for the sake of change, (laughs) just to help us not fall into a predictable rhythm. You know, we, we do serve the city. Next Sunday is serve the city. We say rather than worship in the seats, we worship in the streets, and we're literally all going to come here together next week, Sunday at nine o'clock, and rather than do a full-on worship gathering, we're actually going to go out in the streets, upwards of 20 different community projects that we're going to be participating in to try to make a difference in our city. Why? Man, because that's that's what it means to be the church. The church gathers for worship, but the church also scatters for mission. And we want to just be reorienting our minds to what it means to be the church and what it means to follow Jesus in the city that we live in. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today, and thank you for the way that it often kind of strikes, uh, strikes the inconsistencies of our lifestyles, of our, our heart. Um, God, thank you for allowing us to be able to, to see and to understand what Christ has for us today, and I pray that we would be people that don't get tied up in tradition, but we get tied up in knowing you and following you and seeing you come to bear in this place and in our city. So we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen.